Growth stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. Today, our first Air Force Academy grad from Colorado Springs. Colorado, uh, best friends with uh, you know childhood and still today, brother Jordan Eddington, uh, Rambella, Mike Reyes from San Antonio, Texas, and Taft High School is where they grew up together. Uh, in his workforce journey, you know, did the whole busting tables thing to Six Flags, photography, chicken legs, snow cones at Six Flags. Then you head to college, Air Force Academy, uh, and then after graduation, you do the grad assistant thing with football, you know, similar thing here. Um, and then you coach at the air force prep school, coach the O-line there for a bit. Um, be, become a, uh, software test manager deployed, um, as an ex- expeditionary ops XO, um, and then become an air force Academy assistant professor management department. And then get out and you go coach some high school football. Do that for a couple of years. Transition to now a Salesforce uh, enablement, product ownership, and change management role. So um, Nick's also a stand-up comedian, uh, comedy writer, comedy actor. That's really unique. I like. To, I'd like to get into that even further later. I think there's a lot of gems there. Um, you know, another side hustle for you, nonprofit type thing is, um, and you may have to help me with the pronunciations. The what, what is it? What's it called? It's called Maravis. Maravis Foundation, yeah. uh, a vet and military spouse, Salesforce education and mentorship type of deal. So that's cool, and we want to dive into that. But first, we're going to hit the memories. Um, so, got the first two memories are, are from some guys uh, from your. Air Force Academy journey, uh, best friends of yours up there. And uh, first one, Stephen Larson. In college, Nick and I were assigned to be partners in our astronomical engineering class. The problem was Nick and I were, you know, equally inept in figuring out what that was. Uh, Most of our nights studying together resulted in watching YouTube videos for hours, trying to figure out what we were supposed to do with the next assignment. we were particularly were particularly fond of She Wolf by Shakira and Do the Twist by the Wiggles. Yes, man. The real learning happened at that point for sure. <laughs> we I'm telling you, the way that that went down, man, Tony, it was like quintessential academy situation, man. So like we show up at senior year and our desks were set up. They were you sat next to someone, you know, and the tables all connected. So there was rows, but you had a partner in each mini table, you know? Yeah. So day one, I see Steve in class and we play ball and all that together. I'm like, all right, sit with Steve. So we're sitting there. And the whole time we had been told in this class, 
you get to choose whoever you want to partner with in the class. And so day one, I looked at Steve, I was like, listen, man, you and I don't know what's going on. So we looked around, looked for the smart kids and we were like, I'm going to go, you know, I'll grab that one. You grab that one. <laughs> well, <laughs> man, I'm telling you the teacher to start class was like, you know, I'm going to do something different for this class. I'm going to come in and sign you guys. Let's do you two, you two. And then it was like <laughs> slow motion, man. He was like, you two. And we were like, that was a struggle, man. <laughs> I bet. And, and Ben had something to say about that too. Uh, <clears throat> ben Garland, another one of your Air Force guys that you were close to. And he, he said so many memories to choose from, so many directions I could choose to take this but the most consistent aspect of those memories of what what occurred is how nick made you feel regardless of the situation whether you're being shot at with simulations tear gassed you know battling in unknown combat going to water world i don't know what that is other than the movie we'll get uh, into it <laughs> sounds good going on ops to uh Kansas together, uh, being on the salt course, cadre, um, going to pro day together. That's cool. Nick's energy and natural charisma without fail. Always brighten my day. Nick, uh, Nick made everyone around him feel special and feel like family. Uh, he was always so genuine, warm hearted, uh, and made everyone around him better. So, Man, that's uh, those are big words from a, an amazing human. That actually means a lot. I've never. That's cool, man. Thank you for sharing and thanks for getting that 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 nugget, man. That's I'm gonna keep I'm gonna yeah. hold on to that. Good. These are uh, these are good things to you know reflect upon and keep on chugging. So, um, so this the next guy. I was talking to him maybe an hour ago about something something totally different, and I was like, yeah, I got you know Nick Charles coming up. Guy's name is Matt Nishak. Um, cause I, I told, I was getting, getting you on. So like you guys like squared up against each other all the time, you know, every single year, sophomore to senior year, um, lots of respect there that, uh, you know, that service Academy lineman group is definitely a special group. Um, but he was able to link up with you in Georgia one time, a few years back, grab a beer together. Um, uh, another random one picked up your helmet after, uh, you lost it on a random play. <laughs> um, again, lot, lots of respect for Nick. Top of the respect list for this guy. So, That's pretty cool, man. Uh, had a chance to meet Nietzschek after uh, graduation during 60 days, you know? Yeah. And um, I was road tripping with Ram and Jordan and Mike. And uh, we went from Annapolis and we drove down through Georgia, through Athens, through New Orleans and back to Texas. So it was like a fun like road trip during 60 days. And, uh, it's funny, man. Cause you know, you, you play against these guys that you don't know personally. And all my boys have always said, these guys are great. You know, yeah, I just don't you know. Grow up with this like anger against the other guy. <laughs> yeah. And then later on, you're like, yeah, those dudes are solid. Pretty cool, man. And, and, and Nishak, man, we like hit it, uh, hit it off immediately. He's a cool dude, man. I like him. <laughs> nice. All right. Next one. Mike Reyes, um, said you're the best guy, big heart. And here it comes again, cares about people. A uh, bit of a general giant. He remembers you two um, at, at a young age being in PALS together. It's like the peer assistance, <laughs> leadership, and service program yeah. that you were great with younger kids. 
Yeah. Uh, you had a, a green Saturn you drove in high school. <laughs> and you were a big dude. 6'4", 255, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you're like the Incredibles in that car rolling around San, San Antonio. <laughs> uh, you tried to talk Mikey out of leaving the Naval Academy after his, mm-hmm. you know, prep year and he goes there and, and he's kind of thinking like, I'm not feeling this. I need to go back to something else. But you made that call. You're like, Hey, have you thought about this? Right. Yeah, man. And that's, you know, when you know someone that you really care about, who's making a big life decision, you know, you, all you can do is try to help support. But what I knew, man, talking to Mike, he's the most capable dude I've ever met. So like, I'm like, you yeah, know what, if you do smart. leave, you'll be fine. Like there's no problem, yeah. <laughs> you know, super fast too. That's what I remember about Mike. He was, he was like one of the fastest guys I knew. Yes. Uh, he said one of my best friends, uh, last one for him said, ask him about the milkshake story. <laughs> Do you remember the milkshake story? I thank you for the reminder. I need to add this to one of my sets. Yeah, man. Um, dude, I was dating a girl. I'm not going to say any names. This is way back when, yeah. Uh, she was kind of nuts, man. And, uh, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> we, I, she was dry. All right. I was, uh, in the passenger seat of her car on our way to, we used to do a lock-in every, before every season, all the football team would go in the locker room and lock ourselves in there with the coaches. And we'd have conversations. What are our goals? What are we trying to accomplish? Whatever. Yeah. And she's giving me a ride to this thing. And, uh, I, I had, I had had enough of the relationship. So I, on the ride there, like an idiot (laughs) broke up with her and she, before we turned into the school, I I broke up with, listen, we need to see other people, whatever. She she drives past the school and keeps going, just looking forward, like, you know, and finally I talked to her. I was like, I need to get to this thing. I'm going to be late. She shows some mercy. She turns around, takes me back. And we had just left Sonic. So we had a couple milkshakes <laughs> and I'm stepping out of the car and I'm like, and I'm looking in and I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry about everything. We'll talk later, but I have to go to this thing. And she just sat there angry. I turn around and I thought, I thought I got punched in the back. Like I was like, did she just hit, like, hit me? Is that a thing that, yeah, and then it got cold on my back. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> then it got cold on my back. And I was like, why is my back cold? That milkshake was all on my back. She just, and so I walked into our senior lockout with just milkshake all over me. Everyone was like, what the hell happened? I'm like, angry ex, man, angry ex. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he told me a little bit about it, but hearing it from you uh, makes it even better. So, (laughs) all right. Last one. So we get into your story. Uh, Jordan Eddington is your bestie out of the, uh, you know, before college till today, actually going to a soccer game with him tonight. Right. So that's cool. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, he, how did y'all meet? Ah, good question, man. Um, so I had just arrived at a brand new elementary school in fourth grade and I didn't know anyone. It was day one. And my mom, she was a single mom and she always made it a point on picture day, which was day one to dress nice. So I had khakis and a tucked in polo, like a, just a nerd, bro. You look at me and you're like, what's wrong with this kid? And I show up to recess and I'm standing in line. Cause the only thing I knew at that time, I didn't know anybody, but I knew how to hoop. 
know how to play ball because that's all I did as a kid. So I'm on the court and I'm standing there and Jordan's the team captain for one of the teams because he's, you know, the popular athletic kid and he's just running up and down the court with these kids. And on that first day, he didn't know me at all. I didn't know him, but he knew that I was big and I told him I could hoop. So the very first pick, he was like, hey, I want you on my team. And I was like, all right. So we started hooping. And then every day after that first pick, man, it was just always we played ball and then we got to know each other's families and just became best friends, man. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. He, he shared the story. I think you covered it. But um, he also said when he made that first pick, it wasn't because he was trying to be friendly with you, no. uh, but it was because of your size and athletic potential yeah. that he saw. So Got to put up numbers, man. It's, it's objective. <laughs> <laughs> true all right um he said you had to think pretty hard about was football the right route to pursue or was it banned because yeah. you had a college scholarship to for band already yeah so the way the that worked came around. yeah so the way that worked was i i'm my family come up with a very musical family we're very like uh performance musicians yeah, wow. <laughs> that's what i'm saying <laughs> yeah and um you know, I played the tuba and I loved it. And I used to like write my own music with it. And my mom loved it because she was a musician. So she encouraged that part of me. And uh, I, was, I was in our all district band in middle school. And uh, as part of that, when you're on that band, you have a college director come and look over the band and they, they do the performance. They coach you up or whatever. And after the very first rehearsal, this guy, he was from a local college, UTSA. And he was like, hey, um, are you, you're going to be continuing this right you know and i was like well i'm choosing between this and football and he was like well listen you come if you want to come to you just say you have a spot like you can come play on my band you just come on just stay the track and do it i was like okay You're like i'll think about it but all my buddies played ball <laughs> and it was fun to hit people so i couldn't turn that down you know gotcha found your tribe there followed it yeah yeah uh and then from the stand-up comedy perspective you've seen a uh, jordan seen a couple of your acts in houston want to get to that um he said your knack for teaching was good uh making others feel good entertained a good vibe setter and then after that you did the high school football coaching thing um last one from jordan eddington this one's not a sentimental one it's more of a real one uh in football Nick would always pee himself in the third quarter. Yep. A <laughs> absolutely. And you know why? And we you all know did. Why? Sometimes we just had to figure out how to manipulate the. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know how it is when you're superstitious. Like there was one game, one game where it was third quarter. It was like my sophomore year. And, you and I was playing great. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I, and I had to pee really bad and we were about to go out. So I was like, I'm going to do it. So I did it. And then I had the best rest of the game I've ever had. So I was like, maybe that's the key. <laughs> I just <laughs> have to piss myself every third quarter. So every time I would do it, man, no questions asked. Yeah. And he, here's the back end of that is he said, uh, then you would tell your opponent that you just peed yourself. <laughs> I would. I would. I told the dude from UNLV, man, it was the funniest response. You know, we're about to start the quarter and I was, I think I was actively doing it. We were about to do the play and we were on a TV timeout and I was like, Oh, I haven't done it yet. So I'm standing there on the field, just, you know, doing it. 
and I looked at the dude in front of me, the defensive tackle, and I was like, hey, guess what? And he was like, huh? I was like, I just pissed myself. And he goes, hey, mind games. Now you're a stand-up comedian. Look at that. He goes, you nasty. Like, ugh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. Let's go. <laughs> so nice. Uh, so that's the, the end of the memory section. Um, and now it's time to hear from you. So, man, tell us your story. Yeah, man. Uh, I just I want to say before I start, Tony, I've heard a couple of these episodes and like what you're doing is so cool. Like before we get into that and just I want to say thanks, man, for letting me be here. Like it's yeah, I know there's that weird rivalry and that tension and all that. But I think there's something beyond that that is just like universal. And I, I appreciate you willing to to have me on here, man. I always looked on trying to figure out how to building bridges. And while we were rivals back in the day. You were boys with, you know, some of my boys. And, but at the same time, it's not so much about that as how much of a tough dude you were back in the day. Cause I remember. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man. I, and I think that really started early on, you know, you talk about the journey. Um, I'll try to give you like my 92nd, you know, summary of what my life's been like. Um, I was born and raised by a single mom, uh, with three kids. Uh, my dad was in the picture, you know, I would see him every other weekend and he was uh, encouraging and loving and an amazing man, but you know, for the most part raised by my mom in her house and, um, she didn't have a lot of money. She was a teacher. And so, uh, it, in that house, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on. There was, uh, some, some drugs, some violence and some things like that, that I was exposed to pretty young, not on behalf of my parents. They did the best they could, but more myself, my environment, my siblings kind of thing that I saw some things and was exposed early that really kind of, I think, formed the way that I view the world. And, um, I always knew being the youngest, I didn't, I didn't want to go that path. And I had every opportunity to, um, I think a big part of not doing that path was linking up with Jordan in third and fourth grade. And I found a guy who we hooped, we were great friends. We played video games. Like we had so much in common and our families were like, his family became my family. Um, and I attribute a lot of, of being able to escape what my older siblings went through due to that. Uh, my brother actually spent most of his adult life in prison. Um, and, uh, he passed away in 2011, unfortunately. Um, and my older sister didn't graduate high school either. She's brilliant beyond measure. One of the most amazing humans ever, but just, something about the circumstances and the way it all went down. It just didn't happen that way. Not that that defines success. She's an amazing parent. She's an amazing sister, but you see, there's just different paths that we all kind of took. Um, that I attribute a big part of it to my friendship with Jordan and my other friends and with football and my coaches being positive mentors, which ultimately led me to the Academy. Yeah. Cool. So after the Academy, how'd that go for you? Yeah, man. Uh, post-academy was an interesting time because, you know, when you train your whole life to be a certain size and you're eating, 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 and then you get out there and you're like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Um, I had to learn. I think the number one thing that I had to learn was just some healthier habits around food. <laughs> I struggled with that out the gate. Um, but it was cool, man. I, I lost weight pretty quick, but I coached football for a year at the academy as a GA for our offensive line. And that was just a dream come true. I've always wanted to coach like the people who I looked up to as a kid. Um, I got to do that at the college level and that was really cool. Uh, I think what that exposed me to was like, Hey, 
I know I love coaching, but a college coach's career can take you anywhere in the country at any year. You know, you could be in Florida one year, Washington the next, New York the next. You just don't know. Yep. And uh, I, for one, am a little bit more of a homebody. So I was like, hey, I, I, maybe something a little more stable. So high school made more sense to me. And that's why I ended up coaching high school after the military was to chase that childhood dream of teaching and coaching football. Gotcha. I got a backup. I, I missed one. Um, yeah. <clears throat> why go to Air Force? Did you have any other options there? Uh, yeah, I had a couple different offers. Um, I'll be honest, man. <laughs> when I used to get from Navy, Air Force, and West Point, whenever I would get that mail, I would just throw them in the trash. I was not going to the academies. Like I was like, this ain't going to happen. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Um, and I had some other offers, University of New Mexico and University of North Texas um, were the kind of the other bigger, you know, bigger schools that I had offers from. And then some one double bigger A. Bigger than the academy, but smallest uh, of all the others. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then um, uh, the Ivy League thing going on. But uh, really what sold me, man, my, it was my mom. She told me, she was like, hey, I know you want to don't want to go to the academy, but they're offering you a free trip to Colorado. You should just go explore Colorado. You get it all paid for. And I was like, all right. So I so went. You had, so you had the Navy option. Well, th that late in the game, late in the game. And I think it was after, um, what, was, what was that? What was his name? Was it O'Rourke? Yeah. <laughs> was the guy. Danny O. Yeah, Danny O. I think when he was uh, recruiting Ram and Jordan and Mike and those guys, it was almost starting to become like this package deal. You know, I don't know if they were actively looking at me and being like, Nick, yes. Uh, but Air Force, I knew was. They were actually the first team that ever gotcha. came to a practice that was calling me. So, so good, good recruiting strategy out of Air Force. Yeah, that's part of it. And the other part with Navy and uh, part of the reason, even though I could have gone to Navy, that I didn't. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. I hate big natural bodies of water. I got you. <laughs> so there was no way, there was no options for me, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> that was, that was my one question there. So, um, why'd you get out of the air force? Why not stay in? Uh, yeah. Um, so that happened in 2016 and in 2013, I reconnected with my wife, uh, Katie. And we were actually, we went to high school together. So Jordan, Mike, and Ram, they all know her. Um, we were friends for years and years. And then we reconnected in 2013. And when we connected, um, she lived in Dallas and I lived in Colorado Springs. And I told her, I felt, I mean, I knew, man, I knew right away. I was like, this is my person and this is who I'm going to be with. I so I told her, I was like, hey, come move to Colorado, drop what you're doing, come on out. And whatever your dream is, like, go chase it. And for her, she always wanted to get into medical device sales, like, like a good place like, to be. Oh, she loves it. And we brought, she came out and, um, for about six, seven months was just on the hunt, networking, working her tail off, trying to meet people. And then she got her foot in the door right around the time I could have re-upped my, to my next assignment. So she got her option and her offer was to Austin, Texas. Boom. And we were like, <laughs> I always wanted to coach and Texas is a great place to be. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. Nice. I was uh, from right, right outside of Austin, but my, my entire family growing up, like Christmas, Thanksgiving was always in San Antonio. So oh, nice. I know both, both areas a little bit. <laughs> um, gotcha. So 
you get out of the military, you get into high school coaching, you do that for a couple of years. From the high school coaching experience, what are the key takeaways from that for you? Oh man. Um, I think one, one thing that I think I was pleasantly surprised by was that I think it's easy for us sometimes to put a veil of, of like, we make like a, we make a lot of assumptions about people based on their age, right? Like younger kids, we think a certain way about them. We think that they view the world and operate differently than we did. I think what I learned from high school coaching is that, man, these guys are a lot like we were when we were in high school. Uh, yeah, very so different football, circumstances. Right? Yeah, man. Different technology and different, but still essentially the same people. So it, it was easy for me, I felt like, to connect with these kids because I got it, man. I, I've been there. I know what that's like. And um, there was a cool connection with those kids that I really enjoyed about, about coaching. Um, I think that's one. And then the other is, as a coach in high school, especially in Texas, you know, that's a full, full-time gig. It is seven days a that's week serious. for, oh man, it's half of the year. Um, and even your summers, you know, you're supposed to get off as a teacher. It's like, no man, you're not getting paid no. crap. So you got to go work this, this is, extra camp to try to make a couple hundred bucks. This is Texas you know? high school football, baby. <laughs> through and through, baby. Hey, California, Meshack. That's right. I, I'm telling you, when I was in Colorado, I was, I was uh, talking to some high school coaches from there about what they do. And some of them were like, oh yeah, I just show up after school to practice. And then I help get these kids through their drills. And then I'm back home for dinner and I'm what it's crazy yeah. it's so different definitely a service industry for sure so long hours um and then you you change over to uh salesforce mm -hmm. how's the how's the salesforce get going oh man it's cool i uh and the way i stumbled across it was you know after coaching high school for two years or about a year and a half or so i knew pretty quickly after experiencing like the parents and other things that high school coaches have to go through. I was like, this isn't my long term. I thought it would be, but it's not. So I started looking at sales jobs and, and every sales job I saw was like, hey, you have to have some experience with a CRM or with Salesforce platform. And I was like, what is this thing? So I, I researched I, and it caught my eye, man. It was visually appealing. And I was like, hey, this looks like it could be a pretty valuable skill set. And they offered a bunch of free training. And so at that moment, I knew it's something I like. And if I make my mind up now and dedicate the time, there's no doubt I could do it. So I studied my app off early in the morning during lunch at night for about five or six months, just trying to understand the platform. No job yet, nothing like that. Just out networking with people, trying to see what it would be like. And by June of that, that year, I got my first job at a bank here in Texas that was like, yeah, man, come on. And I love the job. I love the people and I love the unique challenges that it comes with. It, so anything stand out to you from that job so far? There's just like, man, when you walked away these few times, like this is what makes this worth it. Yeah. I think, um, for me, you know, growing up kind of like I mentioned earlier is like, I've always wanted to be a teacher and a coach. So whatever I do, I need to do something where I'm helping others or where I'm, uh, helping see other people grow, like investing in people. And with Salesforce, the role that I was able to move into that change management piece is a lot about coaching people on how to optimize how they use this platform to make their lives better. Um, so like as a salesperson, you know, you got to find certain information 
to go execute and go win. And if you can't find that stuff, it's a, it's just a bear. So how can I make that person's life easier so that they can go win? And that's what, that's what it is, you know, and I get to coach people through that and how to use the tool, which I really enjoy. Gotcha. Good stuff. Um, on your journey, have you found a good mentor that pops out as one of your best? Yeah. Yeah, man. So, uh, when I was first making the transition from high school coaching into Salesforce and I didn't know what job I was really going to look at, um, Eric Charsky was a guy that I met on LinkedIn. I actually applied for a job at his company (laughs) and he denied and he hit me up and was like, Hey man, you're a vet. And he was like, your resume has nothing but military stuff on it. Um, and he was like, I'm a vet too. Let's go grab some drinks and let's talk about what you're trying to accomplish. So I just met with this dude and we became immediate friends and he became a mentor to me. And even today, he's someone that if I'm struggling, even in my personal life or professional, I can go to him and he's just quick to respond. He genuinely cares. I think he was a man. He was special a lot, but he like got in, got hurt, got out and then came. I don't know, but his story is like crazy. Um, but just an amazing dude, uh, and someone that I call a really close friend and mentor. Awesome. Sounds like a, a story of service continues. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like that's good. That's right. That's good stuff. Um, comedy. Let's get into <laughs> comedy. So nowadays you're, you're doing some comedy on the side. How's that going? Yeah, I mean, you, well, tell us more about the comedy thing. Yeah, dude, my, my journey into starting comedy is actually pretty crazy. Um, so, uh, I've, since we're out there and it's a podcast, let's do it. I've struggled with, uh, some mental health issues over the years, man. And, um, in the January of 2022, January of 2022, I was at a real low point, um, personally with where I was in my life, just the way, just, I can't even put it into words. Um, and I had been for a long time, Tony, I've been capturing funny things, funny shit that I thought was cool. I would put in my phone to reread later and just kind of chuckle. Like I'm like, I do that stuff all the time too. I'm like, I'm going to do this at some point. That's how it started. Back out later. Yeah. And I'm telling you. And, uh, (laughs) one night it was like a Tuesday, a Monday night heading into a Tuesday. I couldn't sleep. So I was laying in bed wide awake, just like trying to get my mind off of stuff. And I organized some notes into what you would call a set. And I was like, Hmm. And I walked, I talked myself through it and it was five minutes. And so I looked online. I was like, fuck it. Do they have any open mics? What does that look like? And I found one in San Antonio and I showed up that next night, never having done it. Didn't really plan to do it other than that night before. Um, and I'll never forget. Like, I'm pretty sure I blacked out during the presentation. I, it was crazy. It was like the adrenaline, but I went up there and when I told my first joke and got like an actual like roar of laughter, I was like, oh, that's the ticket right there. That feels good. Uh, (laughs) So I've been just chasing that, man. So like, that's really the goal is like getting other people to step away from whatever they're going through and experience joy and laughter. So like, however I can do that, I'm trying new ways of, of trying to figure that out. Yeah, like like your memories. Don't never forget how Nick made you feel. Uh, Nick's natural energy, charisma, right? Cares about people. Uh, it's funny how that works out. It always ties in. 
uh so cool that's your first set how do you come up with your content like you know because i always try and you know when i think about this podcast i think about all right how can i mix it up a little bit or yeah i don't want to be the same thing every single time how do you come up with what you're gonna you know say yeah it's a good question um so really where that journey started was initially it came from just those random thoughts that i had and that i was logging in my phone right um but then i you know the more i looked into it the more i'm like learning about what is this art form of actually telling a good joke look like a good joke structure you know like what does that look like because there is some kind of science behind telling a good joke it's when you make something as concise as possible you rearrange your words in a certain way to where you end on a trigger that will immediately cause some kind of laughter because it's unexpected so you really are thoughtful you have a concept of something that's funny how do I take that concept, put it on paper and rearrange it in a way that will get the biggest laugh. And so I tried to, I iterated on this man. I, uh, for months and months and months, and even now still I'll wake up a couple hours before work and I just go on my laptop and I write and I write jokes and I'm researching news. Cause I love to write jokes about news, kind of like Jimmy Fallon style. Um, so, and, and I'm looking, I'm writing Cause satire. Cause it resonates because the population is looking at it. And yeah. So just got to figure out how to put the right spin on it. Yeah, man. Put the right spin on it. And then the best part, really what it comes down to is, can you execute when you're out there? Because you could practice like an all-star, but on game day, if you don't show up. Got to do the work. Gonna, yeah. You, and you, it comes with prep, man. And so I did that for months and months. And uh, now as of like. January, I kind of made my mind up that I was like, you know what, I'm going to start going to more open mics, getting out there, stretching myself to try new material. Um, and it's been such a journey, dude. You, you go to one spot, tell a joke, it could bomb. You turn around, tell that joke in another place. It could cause, it's the most unpredictable. You talked about in the beginning, environment. <laughs> environment, is, like, environment really is important. It is. Right? It, you know, your audience. It's an energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so that's where I'm at right now, man, is I'm hitting a bunch of open mics, trying new material. I've kind of got, um, my goal is to have a solid tight five minute set with my best jokes that are in the best, um, kind of flow so that if I ever you get an opportunity and if someone says, Hey, we've got an opening, come pop in and we need a comedian. You can be like, I got exactly something for you. And I got my cliff up. notes. They're ready to go. Yep. Yep. Nice. Good stuff. All right. Uh, what's your current biggest struggle today? Something you're working through? Ooh, that's a great question. Biggest struggle today. Man, I think it's, I think with a lot of us, but me, me for sure is time management, you know, because we only have so many hours in the day and you have so many conflicting priorities, man. You've got family and work and, and comedy for me and, um, I've got friends and and family in other cities that I'm just like, with 24 hours, what can I do? Um, I've always been someone where I'm like, I don't want to look back and go, oh man, I wish I would have, or I, you know, coulda, woulda. So I try to optimize everything. And so I, I'm personally, I think where I struggle is I'm really hard on myself if if I don't accomplish all the things I set out to do within the time frame I expected. 
Um, so I think it's about giving myself a little more grace with that and, and being realistic with just the way we are today, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think you, uh, what you're struggling with is definitely something that a lot of people are, no doubt about it. Uh, I would say 100% of all people. Uh, <laughs> so that's what you got to do, find grace and, you know, focus on, on what's important, right? So um, so for you, what's your, I, when you walk into a room and you give a speech, non-comedy speech, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's a, a classroom, a coaching environment, and said in a brand new setting and say, Hey, this is who I am. Who is Nick Charles? What are you going to tell them? These are the people that will probably, um, you know, follow you based off mm-hmm. of the context. Um, so you had a brand new job tomorrow. Hey, these are my, this is my new team. Yep. Who do you walk in and say who you are? Honestly, I think it's, I've told this to the high school kids when I first met them and there's a one in, I want to say it's like a trillion chance or something of, of us even existing as people, you know, the, the life is just this really unique gift that we only have one and it's such a short amount of time. And my personal mission and the way that I operate is to optimize whatever opportunities I have in this life. So if I have a passion and I have the capability to do something there that I can go down that aisle and I can take it as far as I want. And I believe that. And I believe that anyone really has that ability to do that. I think what I take a lot of joy in is helping people find that and helping encouraging people in that journey. Um, again, to not live as a woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, take advantage of this amazing opportunity, this blessing. Yeah, take of some risks, right? Go ahead, man. What's the worst that could happen? You know, you do everything you can control what you can with your attitude and effort. If you don't hit the goal that you set out, that does not make you a failure. You know, the fact that you're swinging for the fences says more than anything else. So yeah, yeah. The, the best experiences are the ones where you fail a lot. Right? Yeah. Uh, that's where you learn the most, the more, <laughs> yeah. the more struggle, the, the more growth. So no doubt. All right. Um, last question. What's your price of admission? Yeah, man. I think everyone has to find their give a damn factor. It's, it's that thing. It's that thing that wakes you up. It's that thing that, uh, that helps you stay those extra hours, that thing that motivates you to reach your goal, whatever that is, you have to know that give a damn factor. And it might be forged through, like I talked about my childhood growing up, you know, all those things that I experienced, it might be forged through some other way. But you have to find and you have to be on a journey and willing to be humble enough to to really search yourself and find whatever it is that makes you give a damn about what's in front of you. Because the moment you don't give a damn, dude, you're you're a you're a dead man walking. And I've I've personally I've felt that way before. It's so a, I know that feeling. As soon as you let your guard down, it strikes. Hundred percent. It's the second you blink, man. So you stay hot, you stay on it, you get those practice, you get those, uh, those habits down. The you pursue, 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 baby. Yeah. No, I, uh, I was looking through a, a couple of things you said about, you know, your mindset and ability, you know, to survive and your, uh, give a darn factor, um, spending the early morning studying the days off, 
perfecting the craft, taking risks, ensuring uh, that we help others along the way. Um, and what I really liked about your kind of you know, mindset thing here was before every single snap, you had this mentality, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to dominate this specific play. It wasn't the game. wasn't the quarter. You know, it wasn't the 10 yards. It was this play. I'm going to give it everything I got. And it was a fe- it was a feeling, man. And I call that my pre-snap mentality. It's this idea that before you put your hand in the dirt, your mind is already made up. You know what my assignment, I know what my assignment is, and I'm about to absolutely obliterate whatever obstacle gets in the way of me accomplishing my assignment. Did that happen all the time? No, but I was Did always better putting myself chance. in position. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, cool, man. Uh, so the family, you married, got kids? No kids, two dogs. Um, so <laughs> I always tell people no kids so we can afford the guac at Chipotle, which is great. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> you, you, you have kids, don't you? I do. Got a few. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I uh, really appreciate the, the time tonight. I know you got to get off to go uh, see a, a soccer game, right? Yeah. Yeah. European football. Yeah. 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 Uh, with Jordan Eddington, and I'm sure he'll be chanting uh, Manchester United in his English voice as he does. But uh, and re- really appreciate the story tonight. Um, and happy to get our first uh, Air Force Academy guy on here. And like you know, Nishak said, definitely a, a beast. I remember getting manhandled by you a couple times, uh, more than a few. Uh, but you know, it's. It's good to recognize the respect and, uh, you know, same mentality and have a good night. Appreciate your time. Yeah, man. Tony, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks again.